You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Welcome back to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. My name is Rebecca Gwilt, and I'm excited to welcome to the show today Kyle Kaiser, who is the CEO of Arrive Health. Uh, good afternoon, Kyle. Hey there. Glad to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. So uh, Arrive Health, the Dubai, Dubai Org, Arrive Health provides real-time patient-specific insights at points of care throughout a patient's experience, and, and the mission is to enable better decisions at the point of care. Arrive Health does this by creating data pr- transparency between providers and patients, and they're best known for doing so with pharmacy data. So I'm excited to learn a little bit more about how you're expanding beyond that today. So are you ready? Ready. All right. So you said in the past that the only way to solve the care access challenge is to connect providers to a network of real-time patient-specific information and deliver it within the clinical workflow. And that's sort of when patients and providers most urgently need it and, and can make the best decisions. My research tells me this is a nut that you've been working on cracking for a while. Uh, so how are you approaching this at Arrive Health? Yeah. So, um, I mean, one of the things we, we say often and we're not the originator of this quote, but it's, you know, it's the only purchasing decision in our economy where someone else makes the purchase on your behalf and you have no idea what it costs until you're expected to pay. Right. So uh, that just as a high level goal seems like an important thing to solve for. It's just bringing that information upstream and, and accounting for that as a part of the decision making process seems important. If we're going to move to a more consumer directed, consumer focused model. I think sort of secondary to that, or maybe in complement to it, is people want those answers from their doctor. I mean, that's that's ultimately where the trust resides is between the patient and their provider. That, you know, maybe a doctor, it might be a nurse practitioner, it might even be a pharmacist, but they, you know, they seek those things out from their provider and they may tolerate a conversation with their health plan or their pharmacy benefit manager when they have to to get those answers, but they really, you know, want to go back to the source of the decision and have a conversation. And, and largely today, that information is just not often available to those decision makers, either during their decision making process or even retrospectively. So our goal is to, to solve both of those problems, is to make, make this a part of the way care decisions happen, make this a part of the way onboarding for medications happen, and to connect those as tightly as possible and, and, and automate this, some portions of that along the way. And is that, you know, I know that a lot of, of the work has been focused on pharmacy data. Is it becoming more than that? Yes. I mean, it is It is primarily pharmacy focused. Increasingly, specialty meds are, uh, well, you know, have been a really important part of the pharmacy world for a long time. Many of those are medical benefit related. So we are uh, pursuing actively several opportunities to, to integrate medical benefit information into our existing pharmacy benefit workflows just because they're so often such consequential decisions. And, and those are the things we really need to make sure we're communicating with patients. And, and I know you recently, um, you, have, you have a recent acquisition. How is that fitting into to this framework? Yeah, so we, a uh, uh, longtime customer of ours is uh, UPMC, the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And they're, uh, you know, obviously a very well-regarded and respected academic medical center. They also have a very capable and, an innovative group called UPMC Enterprises. So they'd incubated within UPMC Enterprises a, um, 
a AI-powered virtual pharmacy assistant. The goal of this is really to create kind of a continuous care experience beyond the pharmacy decision. So via SMS, we can interact with patients. We can understand adherence issues, uh, side effect issues, portability issues. And the goal is to really tie that tightly into the, the care teams that are trying to serve those patients within our health system customers. So inside of every health system, there's likely a group of pharmacy techs or an access team trying to solve prior authorization issues or, or even pharmacists in some cases that are trying to reach patients. This automates much of that outreach, creates some ongoing and, and consistent engagement with those patients so that we can help prioritize the work of those teams and, and really get the human-to-human connection happening when it's a complicated, you know, probably expensive, important, high-consequence decision. And where it's things that we can automate, we, we should automate. Yeah. So say more about that, because I've been diving pretty deep, my team and I, on these large language models and these, you know, AI chatbots. And we have seen some pretty powerful things out there. Is this, you know, what is the is the new system meant to uh, play a role in, you know, answering questions or is it uh, summarizing? Is it it translating things? What's the what's the efficiency that it's netting? Two, two things. One, there are, there are aspects of it that is uh, answering questions around the pharmacy experience and, and providing responses. I think more importantly, we're automating the outreach and, and engagement with pharmacy patients so that uh, we can then queue up the, the most important patients to have interactions with pharmacists. So if you're, a, if you're a health system and you get a network with a payer in your market, there's more often than not, depending on... Um, those payer agreements, those network agreements, there's going to be requirements of how often you reach out to high risk right. patients. And right now, right now, that happens just through manual phone calls. This system allows us to to trigger things through the e-prescribing flow that'll that'll create continuous engagement with that patient, so that we're satisfying some of those requirements, but also creating a, a work queue, sort of engaged uh, group of patients that that need to actually talk to the pharmacist, so that the ones that have the higher needs in the more complex scenarios actually get to engage with those pharmacists. And we're not spending, and a health system's not spending time paying a pharmacy tech or a pharmacist or an access team to just make phone calls. We can we can start to automate some of that outreach. I'd love to hear, because a lot of this is, is sort of tech focus and, you know, process focus. And I know that, you know, that the purpose behind this is uh, is more than just efficiency. It's, it's certainly, you know, in, uh, improving outcomes. What have been some what have been some successes? Like what what's an example of a time you knew that that Arrive Health was doing the job that it was meant to do? We have a we have a great collection of health systems that we work really closely with. Some of those are investors. One of those is Presbyterian New Mexico, and Presbyterian is an amazing place because New Mexico as a population is a really unique insured population. It's really high Medicaid. Um, it is a complicated place to try and manage cost and, and drive quality. And, and they, they're world experts in that. And they have a provider there who's one of our biggest advocates, super user, I think is how we would all describe him. <laughs> and, and he told a, told a story of a patient who was in his clinic. And uh, I think albuterol was the med. I'm not a pharmacist, so I will beg forgiveness if I got that wrong. But, you know, within albuterol, there's, that's an inhaled steroid. There's probably several different ways that you could actually administer that med. It could be an inhaler, it could be a disc, it could be a nebulizer, whatever it may be. 
And, uh, and usually your payer has a preference that, you know, one of those methods is zero dollars and the rest of them are usually quite expensive. You know, it can be as much as 250 bucks. And, and this, he had a patient in his clinic, had exactly that problem. Kids needed and needed some albuterol to get better. Um, if you've got kids, you know, those are always stressful moments. And, and he was able to say, this one's zero dollars and this one's $250. And, I could care less which one you choose. And this, he, he really tells us, he, we had him come in and tell the whole story to, to our team. And he said the, the mom was in tears, you know, that the difference between a $250 drug and a $0 drug is really meaningful for, for a lot of people. And uh, he can see right through the complexity and, and get to the right answer. We've, we've, matter of fact, just released something today we've been working on for a while of just how prevalent $0 options are. And it's just a, a matter of getting the right answer to the right decision maker when those things are actually happening. You know, the benefit design is hard to navigate sometimes, even for providers, especially for providers. So, so bringing that stuff to the, the fingertips of the, the individuals who are making those decisions is really important work. I, you know, as a as a patient, uh, you know, I work in this I work in this space, so it's not surprising to me. But my guess is, as a patient, most most people would be shocked that that's even a thing that happens. I think most people would be shocked that their that that their doctor wouldn't automatically know that they would prefer a zero dollar drug over over not if there weren't any sort of large clinical differences. And it seems like uh, it seems like a simple problem to solve. I'm assuming that that's not the case. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's you know it's uh it, it's not malintent on any stakeholders' part, right. right? It's the it's the health plan trying to do their best to negotiate a good deal for their plan sponsor. It's the patient trying to understand how to solve whatever problem they have, be it for them as a patient or their kids. And then it's the doctor trying to make a appropriate clinical decision. The problem in the past is neither of those stakeholders were are communicating in real time. Right. So um, it's the age old so healthcare is, story, the silos. That's right. And if you think about a clinical day for a provider, right, you see 25, 30 patients in a day, depending on your market, let's see, you're in central Virginia, that's a fairly fragmented health plan market, right? So 25, 30 patients could be, you know, seven or eight different health plans. Plans, yeah. Many of those health plans might have carve outs and complexity and different plan designs. So it's just like not a solvable human problem. It's something that a machine should be doing for us. and, And now it is. So awesome. Okay. So what you found success in has been, uh, you know, driving decision-making uh, to the point of care. And lots of companies are trying to do this in one form or another um, with the goals that we talked about, improving care and care outcomes and reducing healthcare costs. That uh, good old true lame. Um, Donnie Berwick, who I have a professional crush on, coined the term back in 2008. Uh, but since then, and since my time in government, We've added two more aims, and now we have the quintuple aim, and that includes both provider wellness and health equity. I want to explore a little bit about how you're thinking about these two additional arms at at Arrive Health. Um, we're we're all more aware than ever that care providers are burning out left and right. It's at the news every day. Ultimately, we're building a tool for use by clinical staff, uh, which. Oops. Any any uh, any additional tool might equate to additional burden. How how do you make sure that that your tool doesn't that it mitigates or at least doesn't add to sort of administrative burden on providers? Yeah, uh, well, uh, we have a 
we were incubated at the University of Colorado. UC Health has the Care Innovation Center, and they, um, Rich Zane, who leads that, had some pretty strict principles for us, and, and it, you know, not deviating from existing workflow and making things easier, not harder, was a big part of what we've learned from from him and his team. And so that led us down a path of we we can't be an embedded application inside of a tool. We can't be uh, something outside of prescriber workflow. We've got to be powering the OEM experience of e-prescribing. And so we've really focused heavily on building close relationships with our EMR partners and our provider partners to make sure we're, we're injecting this data into the appropriate places. Many of our EMRs have done a really nice job of integrating that and, and they control the experience. We're just the data in the background that's making these things happen. So that's one is just, you know, a, an intense focus on provider experience with a lot of sensitivity to how much we're asking of providers generally now and, and what a complicated job that is. So don't make it worse is an organizing <laughs> principle. Um, how, uh, on how, the, how, how important do you think it was or, or how, how big of an influence do you think it had? It, it, it was on, on the trajectory of the company that you were incubated in, in a system that was actually going to be using this tool to solve a problem. Oh, huge. It's, it is um, not even just that we were incubated there. It's actually the origin of the company. So one of our co-founders is a doctor in Denver named Kevin O'Brien. And he's still practicing there, still involved with the company. Uh, Kevin actually started doing all this work in his own clinic and was just trying to help people solve their medication spend problem for those that were just walking in the door for his clinic. Built this massive uh, spreadsheet of sort of ways to save on medications that he was trying to serve his patients with. It, that was all inspired by him trying to help his mom. So his mom came and said, Hey, I've got a out of control monthly spend on drugs. How can I, how can you help? And like any good son with skills, he you know said, this is a brand drug and we can break it off into generic parts. Here's a therapeutic equivalent. Here's a way to pill split, you know, whatever it was. And so, you know, from the very beginning of the company, we've been inspired by providers solving those problems for their patients is the, where that work should happen. Uh, we actually even have a, a mantra around the company called Lucy Up. And it's it's sort of our way of saying to each other in moments of intensity or moments of, of great focus on sort of the next deal or the next feature, or the next work that needs to be done of Lucy Up is our way to lift our eyes to the mission. And it's because Kevin's mom's named Lucy. Yeah, and, know. you know, everybody's got a Lucy in their life or they've been yeah. to Lucy themselves. It's had an experience with the healthcare system that just didn't make any sense. So that was a tangent to say, origin of this thing's always been, um, you know, provider is the right stakeholder to help be a steward of this information. The experience at UC Health was incredibly important. Understanding the provider hassle map was really, really important. And when we even took that further and really specifically uh, pursued health systems as investors and really brought those folks in as kind of a living laboratory for us to make sure we're consistently as we build new things, as we try new things, that we're doing that uh, with a with a provider focus because that's ultimately the stakeholder that I think yeah, has I mean, the, the most opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like an intense provider focus um, solving a problem that you know exists because of that provider focus, and also, you know, paying attention to the end user, the patient who's who's ultimately going to be be the beneficiary of that's right. the. Uh, you know, more real-time information. And speaking of the beneficiary, right, we're going to talk about health equity. Tell me, tell me how you think about this, uh, the, the potential of your 
tool to help with patient access? How are you win- and measuring your wins on on patient affordability and access? Yeah, I'm, this um, may or may not be sort of the way health equity is classically categorized, but I think about consumer-driven healthcare as as the most important health equity issue to solve because we've, for the last 25 years, been making this transition from low deductibles, low co-pays, simple formularies to high deductibles, high co-pays, co-insurance, and complex formularies. And that's already happened, right? Like over half of health plans right now are high deductible health plans in one form or another or have some significant out-of-pocket spend for the patient. And we haven't provided the tools uh, to make those decisions as quickly as those things have been adopted. So I think the most important health equity issue to solve is like, you know, half of America can't incur a thousand dollar unexpected expense without financial ruin. And half of America also has a multiple thousands of dollars deductible. And those two things are incongruent. So how do we provide the tools to to help make those decisions uh, a little more palatable? So that's, you know, squarely where I focus around health equity. I think there's there's clearly a lot of factors beyond that, but I think that's the one where we have the most opportunity to make an impact. Yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's one of those aims that's, um, it's a, it's a tough uh, KPI to collect data on, right? Are we moving the needle yeah. on health equity uh, because because one company can't, and certainly one component of the healthcare spectrum can't unilaterally make a difference in in a person's uh, equitable access to care. Sure. But, but, you know, the story that you told, uh, I think was pretty impactful, right? It's the difference between you can rest easy because your child has asthma medication just that is life saving. And you can also buy groceries that week or, or not, right. Just, just because you, the information wasn't there. I mean, that seems very tangible in terms of impact. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a. Uh... I would, you know, there's lots of reasons it would be a lot more exciting to tell a story about some, you know, chat GPT application. But what we're focused on is just let's get the right information for the right stakeholder who's making a decision at the right time. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's a yeah. big enough problem yeah. to solve. Although I'm, I am 100% here to talk about chat GPT. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be able to add very little value to that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so you said last year at Startup Health um, on a podcast or, or, or at a Startup Health co- podcast that Opportunities in pharmacy tech and price trans- transparency tech are just getting started. And then now I know you sort of made this acquisition. Is this still true for you? Like, what's the next mountain to climb for you and your competitors in the space? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a couple of things. One, uh, a couple of years ago, CMS made real-time benefit a requirement for Part D plans. So we, we conduct real-time benefit checks. That's one of our features. That means it's the real-time patient-specific, location-specific, moment-in-time-specific insight into cost. So now if you're a, if you're a Medicare plan that provides Part D coverage, you got to have one of those. So that's great tailwinds. Uh, about a year after that, they made that requirement for patients. They have to provide access to that information directly to patients, so both at the point of care and for patients. So those, to me, are the ingredients of a better system for patients and we just need to go execute on the right use cases to do that. So we've made the choice of coming alongside providers to do that, but there's others that are skinning that cat in different ways, but it's just, you know, pharmacy data is more discreet. It is more often in structured forms inside of the systems that are used across the industry. 
the data is becoming more liquid. It's been limited in a lot of ways uh, over the years. So it's just got all the ingredients of it's time to do big and important work in pharmacy. So our focus is is really provider, care team, patient, and connecting those three stakeholders as tightly as possible in a continuous care experience so that better decisions get made at every step along the journey, both the moment of prescribing and throughout the onboarding process. Uh, we don't have to do all of that work directly, but I think we have an opportunity to be a steward of whatever resources you need to bring to bear to solve that patient's problem. Benefit price is a huge and important part of that. Prior authorization is a big and important part of that. All of the work that health systems do every day for 100% of the scripts that leave their system, even when they're not the ones that get to fill that prescription. So that like solving that problem, the, the body of work is largely untenable in a lot of cases because prior auth is now so ubiquitous. So, you know, to me, the, the opportunities are just, just starting to emerge. Um, well, I, you know, I wish you all the, all the best of luck in that. I, I, like I said, as a patient, I, um, you know, these seem like, this seems like, uh, table stakes, right? Let us know, <laughs> let us know what this is going to cost us. Um, so exactly. like I, said, I think folks outside of this industry would probably be surprised to hear that that's just now sort of being solved. So, okay. So the last thing is, you know, well, I, I have been there alongside you and, uh, well, watching as you have been on the roller coaster the last two years, uh, you and your digital health colleagues, so many solutions, so much money, crazy valuations, lots of froth, and then sort of the shock to the system when people started noticing it to it's slowing down a bit, you know, uh, there are, there are disagreements on, 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 you know, what the, what the slowdown actually is, if there is one, how bad it is, et cetera. But I'm interested in, in whether you see the sort of change, changing landscape uh, around health tech, a challenge uh, or an opportunity. Are you are you thinking differently about your business now that you know investment and purchasing seems to be contracting a bit? There's just a lot of discussion around this right now. I'm super interested in your take. Yeah, I, um, I think my answer to that either or question is yes. It is both challenge and opportunity. Uh, you know, at a high level, when over the last many years, maybe ten, maybe more than that, that you know, effectively, capital has been very accessible at a low cost, that's changed. And that'll change the way people approach these problems to some degree. The, you know, the sort of classic Silicon Valley, go get all the glass as fast as possible methods are probably not going to work anymore because growth is not being rewarded in the same ways that it was. But I think the the opportunity is that we'll probably build healthier businesses long-term as a result of that. We'll, you know, have EBITDA producing businesses that are that are growing in healthier ways that create more sustainable success. So it's both challenge and opportunity because everybody's trying to make that swing right from growth at all costs to uh, growth with the right business mechanics. Uh, I think the other opportunity is just there'll be some opportunities for what are complementary but bespoke companies to start to kind of consolidate into more platform looking things. I think there's, there's likely to be much more of that as a result of this, just because some of these companies aren't going to make that turn and, and may need to consolidate into larger solutions. Yeah. It's been really interesting to see, uh, uh, digital health solutions get m- more and more and more specialized. And I don't think that necessarily will go away, but to your point, taking sort of bespoke and very specialized solutions 
and not getting rid of them, but making sure that that they in their own right are available, but possibly through another vehicle. I think it's probably we're going to see next some cool, maybe some cool marketplace solutions in the in the telehealth space. And uh, yeah, I agree. And 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 you know, I think the other thing that I'm that I'm watching is just the sheer amount of data uh, being collected and shared and combined and uh, you know extracted and and uh, manipulated. Um, I'm I'm I, I, my suspicion is that uh, that has been happening without a lot of people looking in on it. You know, without a lot of people checking in on it, and you know, certainly the responsible, you know, there's responsible companies out there are, are paying attention. But I, I also, I'm also looking toward uh, a time when there's gonna there's gonna have to be some more organization around who is buying data, who's selling data. I, I, you know, I've already seen data sources like big health systems and payers get more strict about this. Uh, have you have you experienced that at all? Um, I think there's always a lot of caution around data and healthcare for sure. Yeah. And, and that's true of every stakeholder we work with. And, and I, I don't think that'll change. I do think, um, sort of giving consumers or patients more control of that information is, is a good thing. And Cures is a good thing ultimately. And Tefka and all the things that'll come downstream of yeah. the data becoming more liquid, um, is a good thing. And that combined with a much more digital, fluid or native, user base like if you think of our population as a country is is booming at the seniors end right and that the medicare roles are going to grow and the only way to manage that effectively is going to be through tech enabled and technology driven solutions but the good news is it's like the the folks that are enrolling in those in those plans are not completely without experience with technology like yeah. it's it, it's my parents who've had ipads for 10 years who understand how to use this stuff and that right i think there's a sort of data liquidity with some willing and capable users of that it could be recipe for some good success yeah yeah all right well so i really really appreciate you spending time with me today um i'll just ask you one more question and then let you go i uh i'm curious what's one piece of advice you'd like to give to healthcare innovators uh, to help them supercharge their success Pay a lot of attention to how your customers make money. <laughs> and, a good one. Uh, until you until you understand that really well, it's going to be hard to to solve the ecosystem problems because everybody's making very rational decisions based on the incentives that are in front of them. So the better you understand those, the more healthy a business you'll build. Agree, agree, agree. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. Um, I wish you the best uh, in as you continue you. to grow Arrive Health. I will be I will be listening and paying attention to what you all have on the horizon. And if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, Rivehelp.com is a great site. We're fairly active on LinkedIn as well. So either of those are good options. Perfect. I will drop those in the show notes. And um, thank you again. Appreciate the time. Have a great day. Thanks, Rebecca. Thank you for listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Carrie, me, or Nixon Gwilt Law, go to nixongwiltlaw.com or click the links in the show notes.